JCPenney kind of loomed large in my mind as a kid because of those catalogs, especially the Christmas catalog, which was like 300 pages long. It wasn't as thick as a dictionary or a Bible the way their seasonal catalogs were, but it was just all cool stuff. Hi, I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Ben Oglesby. We're senior reporters with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends. And talk about some of the things that don't always make it into our articles. This is The Back Room. Hey, everybody. Today on The Back Room, we're going to be talking about JCPenney, which at long last made some progress in their Chapter 11 process. Ben, you've been covering this pretty closely over these weeks and weeks, but we wanted to start off just kind of talking about JCPenney, not so much where it is now, but sort of how you might remember it. Our family was kind of more of a Sears family, Sears catalog, Sears stores, those really rough, tough skins jeans. But, you know, Sears and Pennies were both the kind of stores that you went to if you couldn't really afford the fancy department stores. What's your memory of Pennies? So when I was a kid, the fancy department store where we lived, which is uh, in the Kansas City suburbs, would probably have been Dillard's. And we didn't have like a Macy's around. I don't know when I'd ever even first heard of Neiman Marcus. I may have been in my 20s or 30s <laughs> or Nordstrom. So JCPenney was like, it was kind of my introduction as a kid to retail in some ways. I mean, there was like Venture and there was JCPenney and that's where we did a lot of our shopping. And I think that's where I did most of my clothes shopping when I was a kid. Our mom would take us to JCPenney to buy school clothes and we got the catalogs. JCPenney kind of loomed large in my mind as a kid because of those catalogs, especially the Christmas catalog, which was like 300 pages long. It wasn't as thick as a dictionary or a Bible the way their seasonal catalogs were, but it was just all cool stuff. It was all toys and like musical instruments. And I mean, I would just finger through that thing until it came apart. So yeah, I knew, I mean, I knew JCPenney, that's where we got clothes and you know, it had the catalogs where I looked at toys and it's where I would sort of wander around as a kid waiting for my mom and my sisters to come out of the dressing room. It's what we had. It was the Midwestern department store that my family went to, basically. So, you know, when my kids were little, Penny was the place to sort of reliably get good shoes that were affordable. So that wasn't that long ago. They did take out that kid's shoe department here locally, and that was the end of it for me. I never really understood that move. I don't know if it was because it was so close. The Payless was a couple of steps away. Maybe that's that's where everyone was getting their shoes. Very similar kind of price point. If Penny's heyday might have been like in the time of your childhood, that is not what the story is for them right now. And honestly, my my own like shopping life probably traces to a large degree like the trajectory of JCPenney because into my like teens and 20s, I started going to Target and then later like Kohl's and TJ Maxx and Ross and the off-pricers. And that's where a lot of Penny's business has gone. You're describing the downfall of Penny's right there. Part of it, though, is they've struggled in a lot of very specific categories where Target has had this really strong private label apparel for women's kids and now even men's. Penny, I mean, wasn't it a couple of years ago they just like literally took every stitch of 
women's clothing out of their stores and decided to start over. Even now this year, they're, you know, announcing a new private label. They just keep trying and missing. Part of that, I think, has to do with just where apparel is at more generally. But I think it's hard if you're a retailer who people have turned away from and gone other places to get their clothes. It's hard then to get those people back as opposed to not losing them in the first place. So that brought Penny to the brink of bankruptcy until they finally declared this year. What, aside from these customer trends and and their troubles with merchandising and stuff that go back a lot of years now, what would you say happened exactly financially and otherwise to get them into chapter 11? Well, I mean, and and depending on on your viewpoint and where you start it, I mean, the, the story of their bankruptcy goes back a few years or a decade or many decades. I think what you point to, I mean, JCPenney has really been on the wrong side of a lot of retail trends over the last few years. They're stuck in malls where traffic is declining. They sell a lot of national brands, which you can get in a lot of different venues now. They're in that middle price point, which is just death. I mean, it's just a terrible place to be right now. In between off-pricers and discounters and the luxury segment with the middle class eroding over the last you know, 30 years or whatever, you have all of those sort of macro trends. And then, you know, as a company, they've been bogged down by debt, which goes back to the disastrous transformation efforts of Ron Johnson, who was... He's kind of infamous in retail. Yeah, although he's got his he's got his cheerleaders. He's he does, got some defenders. Yeah. I feel like one line of thinking about him is it wasn't so much what he was doing, just how he tried to do it, just sort of immediately too much too soon. And regardless of what you think about what he did and his ideas, the fact is Penny's debt load comes from that failed turnaround because their sales fell so disastrously, so steeply, they had to use debt just to make up the difference. They're basically operating at a massive loss for a couple of years. And that's where a lot of their debt, their current debt came from. So if you fast forward to you know, 2017, 2018, they had a four or $5 billion debt load. They're in a tough segment. They didn't really have the money to innovate. Even if they did have the money to innovate, it's still tough. I mean, Macy's is doing pretty well financially, and they've had a tough time. They actually have a lot in common with Penny in the sense that they're in that deadly middle also. Although they have different, I think they're aiming a little higher, but I think in some ways they get the same customers. The other thing about Penny is that they had a lot of CEOs between Ron Johnson coming in and then leaving pretty quickly, I kind of drummed out of town. There's been a kind of a revolving door over there. Do you feel like the leadership there now maybe is a little bit a steadier hand? I think that's the general feeling. When Jill Soltaus really got rolling in, in early 2019, she filled out the executive ranks with people with a strong retail background, strong merchandising background, and they've been disciplined, They've been on message. You know, they can't completely transform JCPenney into a new business overnight with the finances they have, but they've been making aggressive changes with a low capital threshold, doing what they can. They, they have test stores up and going, sort of laboratories where they can test out new merchandising and new services and roll them out to stores. 
And I think they're kind of trying to merchandise their way back into sustainability as, as a business. And I, frankly, I'm not sure if you can do that in this environment, if merchandising will be enough. I think really they've been focused on just stopping the discount bleeding. You know, be very disciplined about inventory and markdowns and stop losing all of your profit on merchandise that you have to discount because you have too much of. So less merchandise sold at higher markups, higher margins, and try to make JCPenney more of a, a destination to the extent that you can. I think that's what they've been working on. It's funny because just hearing you talk, you realize how far Walmart, but especially Target, have like the kind of strides both of those retailers have made in some of the things that you're talking about. And when you're talking about a mass merchant like Target, sort of out merchandising and out private labeling a department store like Penny, you realize how far Penny has to go. Yeah. And Target just keeps getting stronger in apparel and stronger in its private labels. And I think you can be reasonably sure that they've been taking some market share from Penny. But yeah, the, I mean, the declining sales trends plus the debt load, plus yearly losses for most of a decade, plus the coronavirus pandemic. There was no way Penny was not going to file for Chapter 11 this year. I think they maybe had a chance to dodge it, but most people just thought it was going to be a matter of time anyway. And there's no way to, to restructure their debt out of court in the environment that they're in right now. So now they're in a later stage in this process, but I've got to say, Ben, what the heck took so long? It seemed like I kept hearing that things were going to wrap up and then it would be another week, two weeks, weeks kept going by. What went on over there? So yeah, even JCPenney's lawyers have admitted that there have been, <laughs> acknowledged that there have been a lot of missed deadlines. One thing was supposed to happen on one day and got kicked back, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks. First, it was the actual negotiations taking place. So you had three potential bidders. You had Simon and Brookfield, who were the winners, or are the ones who are actually going to be taking over Penny. You have Sycamore Partners, the private equity firm, and you had Hudson's Bay Company, which owns Saks Fifth Avenue. Simon and Brookfield ultimately prevailed, and it was a complicated deal because you have Simon and Brookfield taking over J.C. Penny, the retailer. So taking over its operations. And then you have a group of secured lenders taking over a REIT that is being spun off in bankruptcy that of, I think it's around 160 JCPenney properties. So, so store properties, and I think there's some distribution centers in there too. They'll end up owning it, but it's all part of the same deal. It definitely sounds complicated. One thing that I'm curious about, Simon and Brookfield have teamed up before to buy a retailer. They bought Aeropostale several years ago at this point. And more recently, Simon has teamed up with Authentic Brands to buy Brooks Brothers and Lucky Brand. And Does that weird kind of double-sided deal, does that at all take into account the fact that some penny stores aren't in either Brookfield or Simon Malls? I think part of what's complicating things here is with the REIT spinoff, there's this sort of master lease agreement where JCPenney is going to start paying rent. And there's been all of these negotiations around that. There's also been disputes between lenders, especially over the REIT. 
and what it's valued at and yada, yada, yada. So there's been fights. They've had to go to mediation over this master lease agreement, among other things. And it really comes down to a few funds that hold different piece of Penny's debt and fighting about who gets what in the payoff. No one's really sort of fought over what they call the opco sale. That's what's going to Simon and Brookfield. Everyone is fine with that in principle, but there's all these other fights over the nitty gritties of the REIT and the master lease agreement, et cetera, et cetera. So this is all a lot of discussion about basically it's finances and real estate, which is also finances, I guess. The buzz that I'm hearing among my sources is there's a fairly widely accepted idea that Simon and Brookfield above all wanted to keep Penny at their malls because to have a mall anchor leave would trigger these clauses that would allow a lot of their other smaller tenants in the middle of the mall either leave without having to negotiate or they would be free to negotiate a rent reduction. Do you have a sense that there's any player here that is actually interested in reviving Penny as a retailer as opposed to preserving it as a mall placeholder? It's a good question. And, and I think a lot of the common wisdom is that, yeah, that's why Simon and Brookfield are buying it. They don't want to trigger co-tenancy clauses. They don't want to lose anchors. It at least buys them time to figure out what to do with these malls. And I think the deal is being done on the assumption that you know Jill and her team are going to keep turning Penny around. But you know, the cold hard truth is Simon and Brookfield are the only ones who stepped up to buy JCPenney. Sycamore and Hudson's Bay bid, but they didn't actually want to buy it. There was an advisor to Penny from the investment firm Lazard talking and hearing Sycamore and Hudson's Bay both offered to manage Penny for a fee should the lenders take it over in a, in a reorganization. They didn't actually want to put up capital to buy the company, to buy the operating company. Simon and Brookfield were the only ones who who put up money. And I want to say the the cash that they're putting in was $300 million, which is not a lot for a retailer that has many billions of dollars in sales. That's not the full value of the deal. They're also taking on liabilities and debt and whatnot. And without that deal, and this is this was said by multiple people, lawyers for Penny, advisors for Penny, other stakeholders, without that deal from Simon and Brookfield, JCPenney would have faced liquidation because their bankruptcy loan matured in November and they didn't have the money to pay it. That's pretty astounding. If you think about, I mean, let's just say right off the bat that Simon and Brookfield do have a win in their column as far as a retailer that they bought in bankruptcy, Aeropostal, which was a specialty like teen apparel brand. They turned that around, according to David Simon, actually have made money off of it. They have a track record to point to. At the same time, to think about propping up a mall-based department store that has been struggling for years at this time, at this moment in time when the pandemic has accelerated all kinds of trends in the other direction, away from malls, away from department stores, away from apparel sellers, it's more surprising that it would actually get bought out. I mean, the idea that it would liquidate seems more logical at this moment for retail, but I guess the team has one last shot maybe of 
figuring out what to do over there. It's definitely a tough proposition to turn that around and they're going to shrink it not by as many stores as initially planned when JCPenney filed and, and probably not nearly enough stores that some analysts would say they need to close but it will be slimmed down they will have fewer expenses it's tough out there and the other thing about how long this is taken it's done damage to JCPenney's business. It's been a rough period for the company. For one thing, it's paying out tens of millions of dollars to bankruptcy professionals as it's going along. But more importantly, vendors are holding back. They're giving Penny less priority. Some of them are tightening their terms, scaling back shipments. We've heard this from, again, from lawyers and advisors to Penny over the last several weeks. And that's a big problem going into the holidays. I was going to say, yeah, again, not the best timing. In a story that we published, you know, we, we, we got data from a bunch of different sources, Placer AI, Earnest Research, Factius, and a few others. Their foot traffic numbers don't look good. Their market share doesn't look good. And you can kind of track it week to week, month to month. According to their operating reports that they have to file in bankruptcy court, they're making big operating losses. And their sales have declined from month to month. They're just having a rough time right now. They need to get out of bankruptcy. As, or, or the operating company needs to get out of bankruptcy as, as quickly as it can or it's in trouble. And, and the reason, I should say, that, that vendors are holding back is because they are watching these negotiations. And they want to make sure that this deal is going to get done and Penny's going to stay alive. Because everyone saw what happened with Toys R Us. They went I was from, just going to ask you about Toys R Us because you also covered that pretty steadily when that was all going down. And like this, that was really awkward timing as far as that holiday quarter. And suppliers really got burned in Toys R Us. They had to eat millions upon millions of dollars because the company was trying to reorganize and they said they had a plan and they're they're going to try and turn around with maybe a smaller footprint. And I mean, they tripped their covenants and their bankruptcy loan and the lenders pulled the plug and it caught everybody off guard. And they had been selling to Toys R Us on terms. If you're shipping product to a retailer and you're giving them 60 or 90 days to pay you back and all of a sudden they liquidate and don't pay you because the lenders have a secured claim and you have an unsecured claim, well, then you just kind of have to eat that money or eat a lot. There was eventually a settlement in Toys R Us, but it was nickels on the dollar. That kind of woke, I think, woke a lot of people up in the supplier world, and they didn't want it to happen to them in, in the Penny case. There's one thing that maybe is in Penny's favor. Tell me what you think. Hear me out. Um, which is that, you know, the pandemic is going on right now. It's not just going on. It's actually getting worse. It's basically another surge. I'm hearing a little bit of increasing worry about another lockdown. But there was also news of a potentially effective vaccine. It's nothing that could save the holidays, but maybe in a few months, mid-year next year, something like that. This is one thing that's different about Toys R Us is that some of these challenges that are affecting Penny are also affecting some of the healthier retailers as well. So maybe by the time a vaccine can come, Penny will actually have sorted some stuff out and there'll be another chance coming down the pike in that way too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I haven't heard anyone talking about that specifically with Penny, but I think it's entirely possible. There's a lot of optimism around the, the vaccine. And, and you just wrote about this recently. For one thing, I mean, things can't get, 
I mean, things can only really go up for Penny if it's going to continue at all. <laughs> I mean, one would hope that they've sort of reached the bottom in terms of traffic this year with, with the pandemic. And if the vaccine makes it possible for, for people to go back to malls and maybe want to go back to malls, I mean, maybe there'll be a, a little bit of a, a bump of activity in, in the early going. I mean, the mall might be a novelty because people couldn't go for a while for so long or, or weren't were scared to go for so long. The one thing about the vaccine, which would be welcome on so many levels for so many reasons, way beyond shopping, as welcome as it is and as important as it is, as far as public health and, and really ensuring that people don't suffer and, and that the economy doesn't wobble so much, the vaccine is not going to you know, we're not going to just pick up where we left off as though we turn the page and it's just back to where we were a year before. It, there are going to be some things that have changed. We don't know what the economy will actually be like, like how many dents are there in the economy that need to be pounded back out? How wary are people going to be? What's the employment situation going to be like? And then just some of these habits, you know, I think there's an expectation. A lot of U.S. workers have proven that they can work from home. A lot of them like that. So if that's going to keep going, that's going to affect what downtowns look like, what office buildings look like. That's going to affect retail. And if if a lot of people keep working from home, I think that's definitely the end of the suit and tie for one thing. It's a problem for all department stores, really. I'm thinking of the, that big and tall line that Shaq has with JCPenney. I think those are some pretty nice suits. Let's just talk about Penny post-acquisition. In the past, they they sort of tried to bring back appliance sales. They kind of saw that Sears was going away, so they wanted to capture a bunch of appliance sales. That didn't work out. They're pretty much left with apparel. They They saved their Sephora deal. I think Sephora started to get nervous a few months ago. But they patched up their differences and Sephora, which runs a bunch of shop and shops inside some penny stores, is sticking around. But by and large, Penny, like so many department stores, is an apparel company. In that Chapter 11 room, Zoom room, you don't really hear that much about things like merchandising. But any sense that Penny's going to diversify at all or are they going to be trudging along in this apparel space that is giving everybody fits? As far as I can tell, I think they're still trying to get better at apparel. <laughs> you know, they're bringing in the categories and the lines that they think will do better and, you know, will be more profitable and just trying to keep up with trends after Penny got behind for years. I think they're still largely focused on on women's apparel. That is what the company kind of staked its life on a long time ago, and they don't really have a clean or fast way to break away from that. I mean, if they if they suddenly cut their women's apparel sales in in half or or whatever, I, the, the company may that that may well be it for for J C Penney. You know as well as anyone that that's a tough space. 
It's a tough space. They are still trying, though. Just a few days after you wrote your story about this Simon Brookfield deal and sort of the next steps that Penny's taking, they announced that they have developed a new, I I was going to say athleisure line for women, even though specifically in their press release, they say that it's not athleisure and they've coined a term called style leisure. The pieces definitely look on trend. It's definitely the kind of thing that people are looking to wear right now and maybe even paying money, good money for right now. The only problem is everybody is also making that shift. So it's crowded. People are realizing that they don't need as many clothes. And, you know, there's a lot of angst and anxiety out there right now. So if you don't need another comfortable pair of lounge pants, maybe you're going to do without, especially if you're trying to figure out the holidays. All right, Ben, thanks so much for sharing some of the details about the time you spent following J.C. Penney's bankruptcy process over these several weeks. Anyone who wants to know even more details should check out Ben's story on this, plus the ones that he's probably going to write even after we record this podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. And be sure to rate, subscribe, and like our show wherever you get your podcasts.